Whew, I do not know if I am feeling this cold weather. Yeah, I am not coming out from under this heated blanket until I can get my vaccine. Maybe you can bring your heated blanket with you to get vaccinated? Oh my god, yes, that's all I want! I'd have to bring a generator, though? Psh, small details. I just want to be as warm and toasty as Bernie looked at the inauguration in those mittens. Did you know they were knitted by a lesbian mom teacher? My heart and hands are warm just thinking about it. Aww. And uh, speaking of lesbian mom teachers, wait, actually, I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) But speaking of knitting, our childless, not lesbian siblings are joining us today to talk about their needlework. Ooh, maybe they'll make us mittens. Actually, aren't you already waiting on your sibling for some mittens? Sore subject. Uh Uh-oh. Cut to music! As I mentioned, we're going to be talking to the younger Jafar and Packer today in our first two-guest episode. And yes, they are both expert knitters. It's the siblings episode! Marty Jafar and Daniel Packer are going to answer all of your yarn-related inquiries, from where to find the Facebook of knitting, to why you shouldn't knit your boyfriend a sweater. And I'm going to share with you guys a delicious recipe for leek risotto. It's truly an inspiring risotto recipe. I was very hungry hearing about it. Okay, but when are you not hungry, Rebecca? Good point, I have been called the hungriest boy, but your risotto made me so hungry that I made my own. Aww. Let's get started so we can get to the risotto. Welcome to This Week in COVID, where we bring you the latest and less than greatest in COVID news and updates. So, the vaccination drive in the U.S. is up and running. Or, well... Up and waddling like a determined but very chubby penguin with two left feet who's stuck in an ice drift. And by that, we mean it's going, but slowly. 41 million doses have been distributed to states, and 22 million of those doses have been administered to real-life people. Which, when you first hear those numbers, sounds great, and in some ways it is a miracle. Less than two months ago, we had no approved vaccinations for coronavirus. Still, if 70% of the country needs to be fully vaccinated, which means two doses, remember, to achieve herd immunity, that means we're only about 5% of the way there. So in order to get back to normal anytime soon, we really need to pick up the pace. Our penguin needs a gentle nudge on the behind. Or, more realistically, a penguin jetpack. In lieu of a jetpack, the Biden administration released a national strategy briefing outlining their plan to beat back COVID-19 in the U.S. Their strategy is guided by seven goals. Goal one is restore trust with the American people, so we know this is a bold plan. You see, asking the American people to trust their government is like asking Jerry to trust Tom. They need each other, but trust isn't really on the table. So far, the Biden administration has issued a mask mandate for federal property and interstate travel. 
So next time a violent mob storms the Capitol, they can't forget their KKK hoods at home. The Biden administration is also enlisting FEMA to run up to 100 mass vaccination sites around the country and invoking the Defense Production Act to fill supply shortfalls for everything from N95 masks to syringes and needles to administer vaccines. Biden's signature goal is to administer 100 million vaccinations in his first 100 days. One person who's definitely excited about the changing of the guard is America's favorite sexy Keebler elf, Dr. Fauci. In an interview with NPR, Fauci remarked on Biden saying that the administration's actions would be led by science and truth. I said, hallelujah, you know, that's a very liberating feeling when people don't have to be worried about when you're saying something that you're going to get pushback from your own team. It may be a cold and a broken hallelujah, but it is definitely an improvement. It's good to see a twinkle back in his elven eyes. Fauci and Biden will have their work cut out for them. Remember that pesky new variant in the UK we mentioned last episode? Well, it's kind of made its way to the US. Whoops. B117, as it's called, a more contagious and potentially more deadly variant of the coronavirus we've all come to know and love, has now been found in many states in the US, and the CDC projects that it will become the predominant variant in the United States by March. A little anniversary gift to us from COVID. Aw, COVID, you literally shouldn't have. Literally. New variants of the coronavirus have also been found in Brazil and South Africa. The Biden administration imposed a new travel ban, barring non-U.S. citizens from Ireland, the U.K., Brazil, South Africa, and the 26 countries in the Schengen area, which is basically the EU, give or take a couple countries. There's this weird distinction. We don't need to get into it. Moderna has been keeping a close eye on these new variants. According to the company, vaccine testing showed that the same number of antibodies were produced for the UK variant as garden variety COVID, but there was a six-fold reduction in the production of antibodies for the South African variant. They believe that the current vaccine still offers ample protection against both, but they say they're currently testing two new booster shots out of an abundance of caution, one specifically to target the South African variant, because of that reduction in the production of antibodies, and one to target new mutations of the virus more broadly. China, the UK, Brazil, and South Africa, at this point we have enough mutant variants to cast Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael! Teenage mutant COVID variants? (sighs) Anyways, you got any good news for us, Rebecca? Well... New cases have been in decline since January 11th, when we saw a peak in the seven-day average across the country, according to data from Johns Hopkins. We're still seeing about 170,000 infections a day, but the seven-day average was as high as 260,000 a day only a couple weeks ago. We may have finally reached the hump day of 2020, which characteristically didn't even arrive in 2020. Don't break out your party pants yet, though. CDC scientists say they would not be comfortable saying the outbreak has peaked until there have been several weeks of decline. The slow vaccine rollout, or people relaxing their precautionary measures, could still lead to new surges. Since we can't go out to our favorite restaurants just yet, Isaac, can you show us how to make risotto? I want to hear about cheese. Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about leek risotto. I'm excited to share this recipe with you guys. 
I have to shout out my friend Megan, who shared this recipe with me when I was looking for something yummy and vegetarian to make when I was making my grocery list. It is absolutely delicious. It's cheesy, gooey, incredibly rich, decadent. I am salivating a little bit just thinking about it. Anyways, this is a little more complicated than the oat milk, um, but I'll try to describe the basic steps and I'll put a link in the show notes to the recipe if you're moved to try it yourself. Credit to Nicole Cooks, who posted this on the website Food52. To make risotto, you've got to start with stock. Stock and rice are the basic components. You're going to get five cups of vegetable stock, get it on a low simmer in a big pot, and you're going to be adding this to your rice slowly over the course of the recipe, letting it absorb over time, and then adding more. But you want it already simmering the whole time so that each time you add it, it's already hot. It doesn't cool the rice down and stop the whole cooking process. Then once you got your stock simmering, you're going to chop up one shallot and three small leeks, saute them in a big pot. This is going to be the pot that you do all your risotto in, so it has to be uh, even bigger than your stock pot. Uh, saute them until they get nice and soft. Then you're going to put in one cup of arborio rice and stir it, letting it toast just the tiniest bit for two or three minutes. It says carnaroli rice in the recipe, but I couldn't find carnaroli rice. You should be able to find arborio rice in pretty much any grocery store, any big grocery store. Then one cup of white wine is going to go in there. Please avoid cooking wine, some wine you'd be willing to drink, and some salt. You wait for the wine to be mostly absorbed by the rice, and then you turn to your simmering stock. You're going to add the stock now, one or two ladles at a time, and get into a dance of adding one or two ladles to the stock, waiting for it to be mostly absorbed, adding more until you're all out of stock. This can take a while, but make sure that you are watching it the whole time and stirring intermittently or else the rice is going to burn on the bottom of the pan. And I promise you the resulting soft, delicious, decadent rice is going to be fully worth it. The recipe says the rice is fully cooked once the grains are al dente, but I cooked mine until they were completely soft and I still absolutely loved it. Finally, and this is the fun part, you are going to turn off the heat and stir in two tablespoons of unsalted butter, and a quarter cup of freshly grated Parmesan cheese while mixing the pan back and forth vigorously. Tip, if you live with roommates, to avoid making too much noise, take the pot off the stove and do this on a kitchen towel on the counter. Then you're gonna add whipped cream. Take a third of a cup of heavy cream, put it in a bowl, beat it with a mixer for a few minutes until you get soft peaks. Put this in to the risotto and again, mix and shake it as if your life depends on it. This mixing is what's going to help the cheese and butter and whipped cream emulsify with the rice, turning it into a super creamy, gooey, even consistency. Finally, taste it. If you need to add a little bit more salt, do that. Top it with parsley if you want to feel extra fancy. That's what I did. Now, a few pieces of advice. This risotto will be delicious, but you may not necessarily finish it all at once, especially if you made the whole batch and you're one person. So if you're going to store it in the fridge, 
when you reheat it, as opposed to reheating it in the microwave, if you reheat it on the stove, it takes a few minutes longer, but it's going to be much better. You can wake it up again by adding a teeny bit of butter, maybe a teeny bit of heavy cream, stirring it vigorously again. You don't have to stir it as vigorously as the first time. And it'll taste like it tasted when you first made it. Now, freezing this risotto. This risotto doesn't necessarily freeze super well, but if you have too much leftover risotto, you can do what the real Italians do and make it into arancini, which you can freeze. Arancini is fried risotto balls, and yes, that is as delicious as it sounds. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes for this as well. I've sometimes added some roasted butternut squash to this recipe as well. That was super delicious and gave the risotto a cute orange tint. The cheese makes this risotto super yummy. The whipped cream gives it a silky, smooth, creamy texture. I promise you, once you try this risotto, you will be in love. Speaking of whipped cream, did you know there's a stitch in knitting called the whip stitch? I apologize to our listeners that that is the best segue we could come up with. I stand by it. Well, did you? I did not. But you know who does? Our brilliant siblings. We had a great conversation with Marty and Daniel, and I can't wait for y'all to hear it. Okay, guys, so we're very excited to have our real live siblings on the show today. We are indeed absolutely delighted. So we've got um, my younger sibling, Marty, on the show today. And Rebecca has got her younger brother, Danny. Danny's three and a half years younger than me. He is an absolute delight. He is a math grad student and he's been knitting for a long time. And Marty is in uh, technical sales, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Marty uh, works for a software company, cybersecurity, and they graduated from U Chicago this past academic year. And Marty and Danny are both big knitters. So, first question we want to lead off, and this goes to both of you, but Marty, I guess you can answer first. How uh, has your pandemic been? All this craziness in 2020? Yeah, um, it has definitely been interesting. Um, yeah, I guess my, it all started for me um, taking like a break from school in um, winter quarter of 2020. So, I mean, starting from like January, I took some time off school, um, intending to be just for the winter and then go back in the spring. So I went to Mexico um, and so I was traveling for pretty much the whole month of February. And then I came back towards the beginning of March and then I wasn't really reading the news when I was on vacation. So then... I started seeing, you know, like the, the spread of coronavirus, how, how much worse it had gotten while I was sort of off the grid. And then um, I arrived back home in Maryland. Um, and then I have basically just been living with my uh, boyfriend and his family ever since um, ever since March. We've been long distance for the past like two and a half years up until Corona started. And so this is the first time that we've like been together for an extended period, which uh, has been nice. That's a really intense transition. I'm glad it's been nice. Um, and Danny, that how's your pandemic good. been? Um, it has been a weird realization that like I'm nearing the point where I've been in coronavirus version of grad school for like as long as normal grad school. 
I'm right about now at the point where I've been only online for as long as I was ever in person. Wow, yeah. Danny, when did you uh, start knitting? So I think technically I started knitting in fourth grade when my, or maybe third grade when one of my elementary school teachers sort of taught the class and we knitted on pencils. But I really started getting into knitting maybe, maybe I think my senior year of college. So that's, oh boy, that's like three years ago now or something, two and a half. And uh, one of my professors was really into knitting. And she was, I mean, she still is a very competent mathematician and was able to do this thing where she would be knitting while like, listen, like watching a talk. And that like really like impressed me. And I, I kind of like got into it, like through that idea of using it as sort of a thing to keep my like hands busy while I'm trying to like focus on something else. That's great. I love that you're able to marry your love of math and your love of knitting. That's fun. Yeah. The the more I like start getting used to like knitting, quote unquote, independently in the sense of I, that's not like a real word that people use, but in the sense of sort of coming up with my own patterns that um, involves more math because you have to sort of think about how you're lining up stitches and what stitches you're putting where. Mm. I want to hear how Marty started knitting, too. For me, um, knitting... So I feel like after I graduated, I had a real, like, boom in terms of, like, hobbies and just doing things for fun. Um, I feel like I had a lot more time on my hands. I, I feel like school was a constant stressor in the back of my mind, and my, my job is not like that. Like, I closed the computer at, you know, 8 p.m. because I'm working Pacific Coast time and then have no other thoughts about it. And so... Um, in September, um, a few months ago, I visited Chicago for a couple weeks and one of my friends had been knitting a scarf on and off for the last like two years. Um, she would just pick it up and like knit some stitches and then put it down for like, you know, weeks, months, whatever, until the next time she felt like picking it up. Um, and I, I guess the first time I ever knitted was like sometime in my childhood. I could not tell you how old I was. Um, but one of my babysitters taught me how to knit um, and knitted a few things for me. And I have honestly no memory of actually knitting myself, but I just know that I had done it and that I forgot, I mean, pretty soon after learning. And I always wanted to relearn after that point. Um, and so it, it's been in the back of my mind for like years, um, that I, you know, wanted to someday relearn how to knit, but I just didn't really know how to go about it. Um, and so it was a perfect opportunity when my friend in Chicago was knitting. Um, and so I asked her if she could show me. And so, yeah, we were just sitting by the lake one day and she taught me how to, how to do the two stitches, the knit and the purl. And then I just, uh, we went to Michael's, um, got yarn before that. And so I just got started knitting, uh, knitting a scarf. Um, and the rest is uh, history, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I've been uh, really, I've been really into it ever since then. Um, so I've, I've been, I've, I've done a lot more stuff. Wow, that's great. Um, I'm glad that you were able to recapture that one-time magic during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then, what would you say that you like about knitting? I think what I like most about it is that it is like is only as complicated as you make it i guess like the basic knit and purl stitch are just very very simple um and so and then with that a lot of doors are open to you like even with just the that foundation you can you know you can make a scarf you can make a ribbed scarf um you can you know sort of 
play with, like start playing with different design ideas. Um, or you can just, I mean, you can make a whole scarf that's just like, you know, you knit the whole front and you purl the whole back. Um, so it's just a very plain pattern. Um, and that's a scarf and that's really cool. And so I guess I feel like it's a very accessible hobby in terms of like how, like in terms of difficulty level, and then you can have a lot of fun with it and make it more complicated as you grow more confident, um, which is definitely what I've been doing. That's really neat. I love that it's something that little kids can do that adults can do in really complex and impressive ways. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So Danny, what's the most complicated thing you've ever knitted? It was actually like when I was first learning to knit and I was just getting really like, so this is when I was in like my senior year of college and I was just really like into like the fact that it's really complicated. And I was, and like you learn the pearl knit and the like the normal knit stitch and you're thinking, this is great. Look how much I can do with just these two things. And you get excited and you're like, wow, it's everything I'm going to learn when I'm knitting going to pay off like this many dividends in just like raw ability to make <laughs> stuff. Um, I and that's not a really story coming um, on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I got like really into cabling, which is just a lot of effort. And I built this, like got this really complicated pattern from on um, this website called Ravelry, which is sort of like social media for knitting. It's where I think most people like find all of their patterns, but I found a really complicated pattern there and I just started working on it and I got I, I mean, I was just bad at it. I would just constantly make mistakes and have to like knit backwards all of the time. And I was doing all of this extra cabling that didn't even look particularly good. And I think looking back at it, I actually did incorrectly, but it was like a very fancy scarf with this really complicated pattern. And, and it definitely taught me the lesson of if you make the pattern too complicated, you will both not enjoy it and not be able to like do anything else when you're knitting. And that can be really frustrating. Is knitting normally a hobby where you can like do something else while you're doing it? Like, do you normally, I don't know, you, do you normally like talk on the phone or listen to podcasts or anything while you're knitting? Sometimes I'll decide that I should be um, using knitting as a way to like clear my mind and not think about anything else. But yeah, uh, generally it's like you watch a TV show or you listen to a podcast um, while you're knitting. Or for me, for instance, like, you're in a lecture online and the notes are already posted online and you just need to make sure that you don't like alt tab out to other websites while you're getting your zoom lecture and for me the way i (laughs) ensure that i'm actually paying attention is my hands aren't actually on the keyboard they're knitting that that helps me yeah i feel like um it's funny when i'm I think I'm kind of in my like beginner phase that Danny talked about of like trying to knit the most complicated thing. <laughs> um, like not totally, <laughs> not totally, but like a little bit. Um, the most complicated thing I've ever knit, I just finished. And it also is like kind of a frustrating story because so I made my own design based on like, you know, Googling basically pixel art because, um, if you, like if you think about it, every stitch, um, if you're doing like a color work or something is basically a pixel. Um, and so you can make your own designs in like Microsoft Excel or whatever um, and just do like a pixel art drawing and then follow it like every square is just its own stitch. Um, and so making the design is pretty simple. Um, but and so, you know, I got really gung ho and then I found a pixel art on Nintendo Switch on YouTube. Um, and then I... Uh, 
found a pixel art lizard um, on Google Images. And so then I like basically combined those two in Excel. And then, um, yeah, and so then I had like, you know, a lizard on the screen of a Nintendo Switch, which is perfect for my friend who's a huge gamer um, and is trying to convince all of us to get Switches and then also is obsessed with lizards. Um, So yeah, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to knit this pattern onto a hat. Like, this is going to be so great. Like color work isn't that hard it's just pixels and so then but then like what I didn't think about that I haven't done before is using many different colors of yarn in the same like work and so they were getting and then they were all also different gauges meaning that they like the yarns were different sizes um which is definitely not ideal in terms of things like looking neat um even though I wouldn't say the the gauge thing made it much more difficult but still um, so the yarn was just getting really like tangled up with each other as I was knitting. And then it, it just went really slowly when I was on the design part, um, which was kind of frustrating. And then another thing like with color work is that you have to make sure that it, it basically makes it difficult to make the work, like the finished product into the right size because like there's this pinching action that is going on like behind the scenes basically. Yeah, so that's something you contend with. So then now the finished product is like kind of a really small hat for that reason. Um, and my friend has a small head, so it might be fine. But at this point, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, at this point, I'm just praying that it's going to fit because I really don't have the heart to redo it. Well, I definitely wouldn't redo it even if it didn't fit. I, I, I would give up at that point. I would just be too exhausted. That sounds like, and I, I mean, it's really impressive. I, I don't think I would have the emotional stamina to do that. Oh, exa- exactly. I'm like, well, if, if it doesn't fit, you can just frame it. You can frame it and put it on your wall. <laughs> Amazing. It looks like a lizard in a Nintendo Switch. Like, it looks, it looks awesome, I think. So, yeah, I, I can't read it. Yeah, I feel so awe-inspired at both of you and, like, the level that you're knitting at. Um, if someone like me, for example, is just getting into knitting or wants to start knitting something other than rectangles, what kinds of projects would you recommend or like any advice you have for beginners? Honestly, I think rectangles are a really great place to start. Um, you know, scarves and getting more comfortable, like knitting, purling, um, even like, you know, my, my first scarf, um, there was nothing complicated with it. Uh, I mean, I guess it was ribbed. So it was like, you know, knit, knit, purl, purl. And then that, um, is what causes ribbing, um, in a garment. And I just made countless mistakes. I started with maybe like 40 stitches across and then somehow ended up with like 58, a few rows down. I'm like, how did I add all of like, I had no idea where they came from. And so (laughs) I think that that was like, that's something that's worth practicing is just uh, making sure you don't add a ton of stitches. I I was teaching another one of my friends how to knit and she was like, yeah, I don't know where all these came from. I'm like, me neither. Like it just happens. And then I would say you can start knitting in the round. Um, So basically doing things like that are circular, right? So like hats or like, um, what else? Like, I guess socks are kind of complicated. I would move on to hats um, after knitting um, a, a, a few scarves. I don't know how, however you feel comfortable. After the end of my first scarf, I was like not really making those mistakes anymore. And so I felt comfortable um, moving on to a hat. Um, and so, yeah, you just get circular needles and then it's the exact same thing. It's just going around in a circle and you can look it up on YouTube super quick, like how to, what's called join in the round. It sounds more complicated than it is, but it's really basic. So that's what I would move to. I would do a hat. So it sounds like Marty, YouTube is a primary way that you've, uh, learned new knitting skills. Oh yeah, for sure. 
having someone teach me first in person, like was what motivated me to like go and seek out the little things that I wanted to see visually on YouTube. Um, because I, I already had a foundation where I could get started. So yeah, YouTube, I've, I've looked up so many things in terms of like, yeah, like knitting in the round for the first time, which is so, so easy. Um, and then what else? Like, yeah, color work, um, to deal with different strands and like, um, you know, of flicking, which is a knitting technique to like knit a lot faster as opposed to throwing, which is what you probably will start out doing. So yeah, highly recommend YouTube. Mm. And then Danny, you said there was another, you said there was a basically knitting Facebook. I forget what the website is called. Ravelry, all hail. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yep. Like I, I don't know anyone, like anyone who knits and doesn't use that, like their main source of knitting. You can say, oh, I have this yarn and these size needles, and I want to make this kind of thing. Like, I want to make a hat using this yarn and these needles, maybe two different types of yarn or something. And it will give you everything they have for it. Everything anyone's ever posted of, like, like they, you can post up your pattern. And it's really useful for getting, like, new projects or at least new ideas to work on your own projects. And it's all free? Um. So, yes. Well, not all free. Some people post patterns that you have to pay to use, which makes sense if they're like really complicated patterns. The person put in a lot of effort. But generally, like the charge is like five dollars, which is reasonable when you think about like how much you might be spending on your yarn anyway. But you can make an account for free. Um, and then there's lots of like free patterns. And with the free patterns, you don't even have to make an account to access them. But if you make an account, then you can like save patterns so that you can see them later, um, post your own patterns, stuff like that. So this makes me think about um, financial barriers that uh, may come in with knitting. Is it like an expensive hobby? I assume you have to buy yarn, you have to buy needles. Like how much would you say you spend on it per month and do you have any tips for saving money if you just want to sort of start out and see whether or not you even like knitting at all like you can go to michael's and get like you know uh, a roll or a skein as it's called of like acrylic yarn for like two dollars or something um and then get a pair of needles for like a dollar i don't even I, I don't even know they're really cheap though um and then yeah just knit a little bit and see if you like it um but yeah, I, kind of as I mentioned earlier, I guess it really is like a, it can be as complicated and likewise as expensive as you want to get with it. Um, I'm actually in a Facebook group, uh, Buy Nothing, uh, that is like basically like hyper local, um, like giving and receiving of like just things for free that people don't want anymore. Um, and so I just posted like a wish for yarn, you know, if anyone had extra yarn. Um, and you know, I got like a, so much really high quality yarn from some lady who just, you know, I guess wasn't going to use it. Um, and so each like roll of maybe like 50, a hundred, 200 grams of yarn has, you know, a price tag from some indie like yarn shop, you know, that she went to of like $20, $30. And you're going to need like, you know, potentially multiple rolls to make a garment. Um, or even if it's, you know, one roll for a garment, then yeah, it, it can get more expensive. So the more expensive types of yarn will be like wool or like merino wool, um, especially is more expensive. What else is there? Alpaca I, I'd wool say acrylic and cotton really are, are cheaper. Yes, alpaca wool as well. It sounds like that's a, a good tip for um, saving money, sourcing potentially unused yarn from your community. Uh, uh, Danny, are there ways that knitting has helped you connect with other people in community? 
my my undergrad had a really cute knitting club called Much Ado About Knitting. We would meet every <laughs> Wednesday in the library and knit together, and that was a really like pleasant experience. And particularly towards the end of the of my senior year, when it was just very stressful and I was working on a lot of stuff, it was really nice to just decide to set away some time to hang out with was mostly like a few other seniors, the librarian and maybe one or two professors. And it was just like a very like calm, relaxed situation. And you can just talk and knit. Can I just say that I love the image of you uh, knitting, hanging out with the librarian? I think that's just absolutely the best thing. And then I think uh, we're getting close to... Um, the amount of time we have to talk to you guys. Uh, but just one question, um, we couldn't let you leave without asking. Will you make us matching home and alone hats? <laughs> really, uh, that sounds really put you fun on the spot actually. here. Well, yeah, we didn't think. warn you about this question like, so that you'd be forced to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, would we each knit that's a different funny. hat? It, would, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So we can, like, do our own, like, stylistic choices on the hat. But then, like, we'll have to, like, make sure that they're both, like, look similar, so we have to use similar yarns or something. That would be very delightful to me. Yeah, I, I It's dangerous that. to commit to making projects. <laughs> you end up <laughs> with, like, a big on stack air. of projects if you're not careful. Oh, I know. I still owe Isaac uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas gloves, supposedly. Uh, I know. When's that coming? Oh, you know, soon, soon, soon. Okay, well, um, if... Uh... Uh, if you're not able to make us the hats, uh, I will be uh, more than content with uh, getting the gloves from you, Marty, whenever um, you are able to finish them. We, we'll see. We'll see. But the hats could be cool. I'm open to that idea. <laughs> yeah. I think we're close, Isaac. I think we're going to get these hats someday. I think so. And finally, before you leave... Um, we do a thing every week where we ask our guests uh, for recommendations of whatever you are listening to, watching, reading during the pandemic, and we give our own recs. So, Danny and Marty, do uh, each of you have like one recommendation for something the listeners can uh, get into this week? The book that I've been, like, automatically recommending to people um, is a book that my sister recommended to me, which is, I think, called This Is How You Lose the Time War, which is a really excellent, like, I I mean, it's definitively sci-fi, but it really does the sci-fi in a really cool way, and it's written by two different authors who, like, write alternating chapters, which if you start reading the book will make sense how that works. Uh, it's just like, even if you don't like sci-fi, like I don't consider myself a big sci-fi person, but my girlfriend is super into sci-fi. She works for, um, Tor, which is a sci-fi fantasy, uh, publishing house. Uh, so I'm sure she already knows about the book probably, but, uh, I'll mention it to her. That's great. Shout out to your brilliant sister with that great recommendation. Yes. That's what's um, recommended for my sister. Uh, Marty, what's your recommendation for us? Um, so Something, uh, so I listen to a lot of music, um, and so lately I've been listening to, um, B7 by Brandy, which is her first album in maybe, like, the past eight years. She was on a really long hiatus, um, and so I 
read into it a little bit um, because the album has pretty like strong themes surrounding like mental health issues. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically why she was away from music for so long um, is because she was really struggling with like anxiety and depression. Um, and so the first song on the album is going to be my recommendation. It's called Saving All My Love. Um, and so the lyrics sort of talk about her hiatus a little bit. Um, but honestly, like, you're not hit over the head with the lyrics like you you mostly are hearing like the melody and her harmonies which are really beautiful um and then also the beat is really complicated and interesting like how she sings on the beat and catches it um is like really it's it's quite complex and really like um really enjoyable to me oh awesome i love music recommendations i don't listen to enough music so i'm very excited about that yeah, I try to keep up with R&B generally, but I usually get in like a cycle of just listening to the same thing on repeat. And for now, that is this Brandy album. Awesome. So my recommendation this week is going to be a holiday movie, a holiday rush. Um, it's like a silly, fun, cheesy holiday movie um, from 2019. It's a rags to riches to rags story. It's about a super successful black radio host who gets fired from his job and then he has to move his family. Uh, he's a single dad, so he has to move his uh, spoiled kids uh, who are used to getting uh, cars and Gucci bags uh, and stuff for Christmas uh, back to their old childhood home uh, and they are not at all pleased because it's uh six people one bathroom and uh shenanigans ensue as they try to learn um he tries to teach his kids the hard lesson that um christmas is about you know being together as a family and not diamond rings and um expensive uh gold-plated necklaces so it's very silly, very cheesy, very fun. Rebecca, do you have any recommendations? Oh, yes. My recommendation this week is a TV show. It's called AJ and the Queen. You can find it on Netflix. It's a really cute, like, road trip style TV show um, between a 40-year-old drag queen and um, this, like, 10-year-old bratty, scrappy uh, white kid did I say the drag queen is played by RuPaul? It's really a delight. It's remarkably wholesome while also dealing with a lot of serious issues. Um, but I've been really enjoying it and it leaves me smiling every time I watch it. I love that. Um, and I love RuPaul's Drag Race. So, Rebecca, I think that about wraps up our interview. Yeah, it was such a delight talking to you guys, hearing about knitting terms is so calming. I just could hear people say skeins of yarn all day. <laughs> um, yeah, thank yeah, you guys so, so much for coming on. It's been so lovely. I We've got really cool siblings. It's great. Yeah, Aww. we have really cool siblings. <laughs> okay, before... Um... Uh, before you um, make me blush too much, uh, luckily this is radio, so the listeners can't see. Uh, have a great day, um, and talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, talk to you guys Bye, later. guys. Thanks for having us. Bye. I love them both so much. True joys.
when do you think we can expect our hats? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, but I still love them. And I definitely learned more than I thought I'd ever know about knitting. I love that knitting sounds like something I can do from under my heated blanket. <laughs> so that's it for this week. Oh, and one more announcement. We're going to be doing shows monthly now on the last Saturday of each month. Yeah, it turns out making a podcast is, well, a lot of work. <laughs> but luckily, we also have a lot of support. Thank you to our girlfriends for inspiring us by refusing to make out. They're great. They're just also socially responsible. Isaac's prefrontal cortex for producing and editing and reminded me to plug in my earphones. <laughs> Jonah Nichols for the sweet, sweet tunes. He's a sweet, sweet man. Marty Jafar for being a focus group of one and graphic designer extraordinaire and our guest on this episode. Our parents for giving us direction and life. Our guest stars for giving our podcast direction and life. Clean Feed for giving our voices voice. And our wonderful listeners for giving our voices ears. We do love our wonderful listeners. I hope everyone has a great month. We'll miss you. Take care. Be safe. Drink enough water. Bye. Bye.